You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered, none accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk Man, I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. That's right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with a post-spring game Longhorn Blitz with horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into it. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for being a part of this week's presentation and enjoying another episode of The Blitz. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button. Get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And uh, if you'd be so kind, please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy what we're doing here. helps out greatly with the uh with the higher-ups, if you will. Uh, let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the driving machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Not too shabby. Can't complain about anything. And a man who very rarely does he complain about anything because he's just happy with life, uh, knows a lot about life. He's a renaissance man. Wears many hats for the Austin Radio Network, including co-hosting Bald Online each and every weekday with Mike Harge from 3 to 7 or six if they're preempted by Texas baseball or whatever. But nevertheless, uh, for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 acres where he earned his degree Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, 
Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, bro. Gets better every time. Rod, I forgot to ask you, did you take part in any of the Letterman's weekend roundup stuff? No, um, I didn't do any of that stuff. I, I should start doing more of that, but no, I got all the emails, and I probably should just, I don't know, went to, like, they have, like, a luncheon, and they do, like, You're a busy man, I know. Yeah, no, nah, I, I probably should try to do more of that stuff. You're one, of the, you're one of the old heads now, Rod. I am. That's why I don't like going. I feel old. <laughs> I do. I don't like going. I feel old when I go. So. Like, well, so I don't go to those high school reunions either. What Jerry Gray and Johnny Johnson were to you, that's what you are to the to the kids now. I know. That's I do not like to be reminded. Well, you're oh, Rob Babers, yeah, I've seen his uh, picture on the wall mm-hmm. and down in the weight room. Get a lot of those. Get old people like, I watched you play. You were All-American the year I was born. Yeah, exactly. Get some of those. Be like, oh, yeah, I went to school, man, when you were playing. I'm like, do not like hearing that very often. <laughs> Yeah, it's no. okay, though. It's blessed. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Coming up on the 20-year anniversary of you being drafted. So. Uh, that is right, brother. Damn. 20 years ago. Once again, another reminder how old we are. Right. I just like re-racking <laughs> we, this. You still, you still remember where, where you were when you, you got the call? When you oh, came? yeah, I was at the house. I was at, well, my, my old house in H-Town. I was at the house. Yeah. I didn't want to have some party or something like that because I didn't want to deal with disappointment in front of people, that kind of stuff. So it's a private affair. Nice. Yeah, with the fam. It's good. There you go. Good stuff. All right. We'll talk NFL draft next week because the draft is next week. Oh, shizzle. Uh, we'll talk plenty mm-hmm. of draft next week, but let's talk spring game. I don't know where you guys want to start. Well, let me, let me start with this kind of big picture. We'll we'll talk quarterbacks. Trust me. We'll get to some position-by-position position mm-hmm. stuff. But, Rod, I know one of your big themes has been the identity of the offense. What's it going oh, to yeah. be mm-hmm. in 2023? Uh Anything in the spring game that led you down one path or another in that regard? Uh, oh, yeah. I think that was tons. I mean, obviously, he's not. I mean, Sark's not showing. He's not trying to reveal too much, and yeah. I get that. Uh, but I do think if you're just paying close attention, and honestly, I think fans who are not necessarily football theorists can also jump to the same conclusion here. The strengths of Texas offense are in the passing game, period. Mm-hmm. All right, we saw the wide receivers. They that, that looks like the deepest group on the team, potentially, with X-Men, Jay Witt, now A.D. Mitchell. I think they combined for, what, I don't know, like 200 yards receiving, 15 receptions, something like that. And then a young Jontae Cook. I'm not even talking about a guy like Isaiah Nayor. And you add J.T. Sanders to that. He's not a wide receiver, but to the receiving, passing game. Right. All right, he's another threat you can use. There's no question when you're building an offensive identity, you're building it around your strengths, and the strength of this group is the weapons, the weaponry you have in the passing game. Now, can Quinn Ewers uh, play consistently enough to be able to maximize those weapons? I do believe so. I think the footwork's going to improve. I think his process is going to improve tr- tremendously. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be you know, number one overall pick or anything right. like that, but it'll improve enough for him to be able to uh, maximize the matchup advantages that those weapons are going to bring you because, truth is, teams, unless you play – Maybe it's Oklahoma, or maybe it's in the Big 12 title game, or maybe it's in the college football playoff if you're lucky enough to get there. You're not going to face many teams that have enough defenders to match up with what you can right. present across the board. Uh, Matt, you on the same page with Rod, or are you, you feeling something else? Uh, no, I'm right up there with them. Like, just seeing the flash. I think with the spring game, you know, you want to see those flash plays because you know you aren't going to just see everything that they're going to show during the fall, but if the players sort of stand out to you, like you mentioned, you had – Flash plays from the guys that you were wondering about, Cook, or you go see A.D. Mitchell, what he's able to do. And then, I mean, of course, you know what you get out of wit. But just having the passing game be something that you see the flashes that you want, you see the guys look explosive, and you see the depth that you would hope to see. So I I don't think you could have really asked for more on that end. I was trying to think about this. 
you know, when when's the last time Texas was this loaded at the perimeter skill positions? And I'll throw a tight end in there too. I, I was thinking about it real hard. And I, it might be 2007, and I know you weren't at peak. Jordan Shipley wasn't peak Jordan Shipley yet, mm-hmm. and Quan Cosby wasn't quite peak Quan Cosby yet. But you had, and Lima Swede was hurt most of the year. But if you just look at it, just in totality, right? Like you just look at names on paper. Yeah, Lima Swede, Jordan mm-hmm. Shipley, Quan Cosby. Jermichael Finley. I guess probably the last time we saw a Texas group of skill guys, tight end included, on the perimeter that you look at it and say, man, that that's a really good group. Like you, We could look back on this group and say the same things that you could say about that group. And even more so because, like I said, Lima Swede was hurt most of the year. Jermichael Finley pretty much was non-existent after that Oklahoma game. But just the yeah. names on paper – it's that impressive. That, oh, we're back to Rod's era because, like, the, those outside guys flash. Like, yeah, that's your, that was a yeah, big right. three. No, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because I was texting with, with Quan Cosby recently, and I heard him on B&E this morning. This is we're talking about what the offensive identity could be. Let's just say it's going to be built around a strength, which is the passing game, right? So it, in, uh, Quan was even saying this on B&E, and it makes perfect sense because I've talked about it before, too. You have to insulate – your pass protection, right? You you can't just assume if your passing game is going to be identical. You can't just assume, oh, every matchup our offensive line is going to win. No, mm-hmm. they're not going to win. They're not going to win all the time, and you may have to adjust. But still, you can't just you know disregard your offensive identity. An adjustment means you should still be versatile enough, yes, for the passing game to lead the way, but then it should be malleable in how you use the pass game. Not always the deep ball, not always the mm-hmm. intermediate passing game. So he started talking about how their wide receiver screen was like their extension of their running game, mm-hmm. which we talked about before. He said something to the effect that they were averaging damn near like 11 yards, uh, like in 2008, averaging like 11 yards per screen pass or something like that crazy. We've got to get Quan. Uh, i got to text him and, and get the actual stats. So you can just listen to B&E, actually, and go podcast because he was on there uh, this morning, so Tuesday yeah. morning, I should say. And he started talking about how they basically that was the extension of the running game because they didn't really have a dominant running game. But also, as we know, going back for our time, you know, prepping for the Texas LSU game and going back to our Joe Brady obsession, the insulation, their pass protection is just a quick game. Quick game, mm-hmm. quick game, quick game, quick game, quick game, quick game. Getting the ball out really, really quickly and then letting those really dynamic playmakers on the perimeter, just letting them make plays with the ball in space. Guys like Jay Witt, guys like JT Sanders, guys like hell, X-Man, whatever it is. And that team didn't really have a dominant running game. It had a running game just to kind of keep it balanced. Yeah, but Chris, it wasn't a dominant running no, game. No, Chris Obanaya got the job. I mean, I'm talking and, about an NFL got, running back. And he was the last Texas player to be in what I call my 30-40 club, yep. have at least 30, 30, uh, 30 rushes and 40 receptions in the season. Before that, it was Eric Metcalf. He's still the last one to do it in 2008. So even Chris Obanaya was a versatile mm-hmm. weapon. They he actually had 46 kinda, that year. Yeah, exactly right. He used him more of a hybrid School guy. record, right, Matt? I believe so backs. for a running yeah, back. I think so. Yeah, so they – kind of getting back to your point, though, uh, we're going to actually your, – your point, though, about this, Jeff, if we're going to make the – or if we're going to envision that the offensive identity of Texas is going to be the passing game, there's a lot they can learn from that 2018 mm-hmm. because Greg Davis knew we don't have a dominant rusher. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying C.J. Baxter or Jonathan Brooks won't be a dominant rusher, but they're not going to be Bijan and Rojo. The running game is going to regress. I think it's pretty obvious that it's going to take a – I don't know if it's going to take a huge step back – but it's going to take a step back. Yeah. But your passing game looks like it's going to take a huge step forward, potentially. That's going to be your identity. Insulate the pass protection with the quick game. Just understand that you might have to go into some games, yeah, maybe throwing 60% of the time. But 
I don't know, 15 to 20 percent of of those throws will be within the line of scrimmage. They're just an extension of the running game. Yeah. So that's what I love. about And they had a good tight end. Yeah. They had a good and, tight end play back then. You know, what I mean, in 2007, when you're talking about. So there are ways you like. So I, I love that uh, aspect of what uh, Quan brought up is. And you brought up the 082 thing, too. So they, I love the fact that let the quick game being extension of the run game. If the run game's not working, just like you did in a TCU game. When it wasn't working, what they do? Well, they just took the run game to the perimeter mm-hmm. with those J-Wit screens on the outside, and it worked. If they are stuffing the box, all right, and they are going to clog up all the running lanes uh, by the line of scrimmage, that's great. That means they won the numbers battle. Good for you. That means they're losing the numbers battle somewhere else. If you're winning it one place on the field, you're losing it somewhere else on the field. Find out where they're losing it, and they're losing it on the outside. So for Texas, if they decide, all right, you know, we're going to stop the run, which I doubt this year. Like, why would a team stack the box against Texas? What the hell's the reason to? Not really. I think you're going to see teams drop those safeties back against Texas and decide we're taking away that deep ball because we know he's jonesing for that deep ball, baby, which they were better at. All right. We know he's chasing the deep ball. I think they're going to take that away initially and force Sark to kind of beat you with long uh, drives, 15, 15 play drives down the field. And I think if they're going to do that, then you're going to make sure that your running game can also be supplemented with the passing game. Yeah, because – Whenever defenses sort of dare you to do that and dare you to be disciplined, and it's because you're an explosive offense, exactly. and they want you to do it 15 times in a row because then there's a chance that you may stub your toe on one mm-hmm. and commit a penalty, or you may make one mistake instead of the ability to be explosive. And going back to those teams, you know, we talk about the screen game, and we may see it more through guys like uh, Whittington or get, seeing somebody like Sanders in that 07 season. You had Jermichael have 45 receptions for 575. JT is mm-hmm. already outperforming formed that his freshman year and then that year though when you combine Jamal and Obaniah it was four or 38 receptions for 403 yards the year before with the running backs they combined for 49 when you combine Obaniah and Charles and Selvin so those were years whenever it was a young cult but they were facilitating it through a screen game and using the tight ends so when you add that Texas has this top end at the wide route position, in addition to having pieces like that that you really haven't seen used in the past game since that era, it just gives Texas that full multi-purpose attack, which mm-hmm. you really haven't had since like maybe back whenever it was when you were on campus, Rod, because you had three top-end receivers. You had said Benson, and then mm-hmm. you had Scaife win healthy, but also you were trying to fit in other guys. Like It was a time that you had – you could say the best skill guys in college football or right there with Miami or right there with some of the top teams. And this mm-hmm. might be the first time Texas can say that. I agree with that. Yeah, you, I'd probably say, you know, again, anytime you're putting Roy Williams into the conversation for me, um, that's high praise. But I go back to that 03 team uh, with a healthy Bo Scaife. You had a young David Thomas mm-hmm. at tight end. So you had what you had weapons at tight end, and you, you, you had – the last year of Roy Sloan and BJ. And don't forget, before the Oklahoma game, a chance Mock went into that game, he was leading the nation in pass efficiency. That's mm-hmm. crazy. So yeah, and then wild. and then lost lost his job to yeah. but he lost it to Vince Young. Yeah. So there's no shame. Not to be ashamed of that. Yeah. And then the offense changed his own read, whatever. But that that was the last time you had that kind of group and maximized the talent mm-hmm. that that group had or or, or had a chance to to maximize the talent that that group had. Yeah. Uh, again, the offense changed when when Vy took over, but 
You still which, had you still have those guys available. Which which is kind of I've heard Sark say to heard him say it on that Pivot podcast. Which if you got some time, I mean, it's like an hour or something long, so it's pretty mm-hmm. long. Yeah, but Ryan Clark's good. Yeah, they're good. No, I like I like those guys. Uh, Fred Ryan Taylor, Clark, Fred mm-hmm. Taylor, and Channing Crowder. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And they're they're great. And and it's really good. But it's just it's a it's a long one. Like it's an hour or something. There's a lot of random fluff in there. But also some nuggets. And one of the great nuggets was when Sark said he he looks to remake his offense every year. Like he literally looks to reinvent his offense every year based on the talent that he has. That's a good sign for the offensive identity this year because I do think it's going to be drastically different mm-hmm. yeah. than the offense was last be. year. It has to be. Yeah. It, exactly. Yeah. If not, you're going to have Washington. The Alamo Bowl, that's the result. Yeah. And you don't want that. It has to drastically. It has to be drastically different. I think for to take it, I don't know if I'm taking it a step further per se, but when you talk about that offensive identity, Rod, my, my thing, my goal is for Sark, you've got to go into every game with thinking, all right, I know they're going to come out in a two-high shell because they don't fear my run game. Mm-hmm. How quickly can I make them get in a one-high look and put an extra guy closer to the line of scrimmage? Exactly. That's got to be the focus. Cause totally when you, agree. Because when you do that, now you've got one-on-one on the outside. And like you said, oh, great. Yeah, now you've got numbers in the box. Well, guess what? One of these receivers that can beat your man coverage is going to be one-on-one. Totally it's just agree. up to Quinn to find him. And yeah. the way that they'll do that is with things like the screen game. If you don't have that running game threat, it's going to be passing yeah. underneath. Yeah, because yeah, I don't know if they're going to have a traditional dominant running game. Like, no. just be to hand it off and then let somebody run downhill. Versus some teams, they will just match up mm-hmm. base-wise. Uh, but I think they're going to have to use you know innovation and creativity, whether you be 6-0 line packages, trying to get you know more bodies on the field. Uh, don't, don't plan on going into Tuscaloosa and running it 40 times. You know? Yeah, I wouldn't do that either. <laughs> exactly. No. But you know. high percentage passes, you know, to get your quarterback in a groove and in a rhythm and to, like you said, get Bama in out of the two high and maybe get them in a single high and then you know what the coverages are more likely to be. That's ideal. I, but I'm with you. If I'm going against Texas next year, I got my two high shell. Y'all, y'all may score, score against me, but it's going to take you 15 plays. Mm-hmm. And I ain't gonna let you get. I ain't gonna let you get those chunk yardage plays on me. And that's the thing with Sark, because Sark have the patience to do that. And exactly. Quinn have the patience to yeah, do that. Yeah, they, they always say in poker, right? Don't play the hand, play the man, play mm-hmm. your opponent. To hell with the hand that he's got. Play the opponent. If I'm going to get Sark, I play Sark because Sark wants the deep ball. He's going to chase it. Now in this in this uh, scrimmage, they did show in the spring game, I should say, did show a more effective uh, deep ball, and that's great. Hopefully, that is the case in Texas is more effective at completing and converting the deep ball, but. If they're not in, in every game, they're not going to be really. Every, they're not going to be great at the uh, completing the deep ball every game, and some games they'll be better than others. But if they don't have the deep ball, Sark changes as a play caller. Mm-hmm. He does. He starts to chase the deep ball. I always say like uh, like TLC. Don't go chasing waterfalls. He chased waterfalls. Should stick to the rivers and the lakes. That's a short game and the intermediate game. But if he's going to keep chasing that deep ball, then you know. All right, until he gets it, he's going to keep chunking it. Well, and and that's why I keep my too high shell. But as he chunks it, yes, he's trying to do psychological damage on the defense, and it may. It may plan to see the fear back them up a little bit. But if he keeps chasing it, and he, he's done that a few times. We've all reserved it. If he does, he also inflicts damage on the offense. Mm-hmm. He puts them behind the chains. He puts them in second and long and third and long, and that's when you start chasing that waterfall. So for Sark, to me, I'm with you. I think that this year a lot of it is going to be about his ability as a play caller to adapt yeah. and to, to win the chess match within the game. Yeah, Ben, I like that you brought up, brought up the poker mentality because not only is it playing the man and not the hand, but then you got to think about, well, within playing the man, playing the probabilities. And mm-hmm. if you're like, okay, well, if I'm playing that man and that man likes 
to do the one play that exactly. is the lowest percentage. It, you're going to try to entice them at times to be able to do that because you know that, like, especially if you aren't now, if you're going the tech philosophy and you're buying into four plays instead of three plays, maybe you can waste one here and there and it not magnify. But I mean, most people play football. You're playing Alabama. You're playing three down football. You aren't mm-hmm. playing four down football. So that just makes throwing a deep ball even more volatile to your success to where, like, yeah, you might get it paid off a time or two and get that big one. But if we're able to win or if we're going to take that conservative mentality as a defense and play too high back there and not necessarily entice him and still think he's going to be dared to do that, and you can do it by shading different looks or deceiving your coverage and making it not look as if you're showing it and then fall back into a shell real late inside, like right at the snap, do things like that, it can make somebody like Texas – have an offense that's not nearly as potent. You think it's potent, but it's not really as potent because they're enticing you to do the low probability play instead of taking. That's why Colt McCoy and Shipley were like so amazing. You could move the chains, and that's why we're talking about this screen game and using the tight ends and using this. You know, if you don't have traditional screens, the wide receivers on the outside guys like wait. It seems like Jonte Cook has that skill set to make guys miss. We've seen guy like Xavier Worthy be able to be that guy and it's especially if he's staying away from contact, just getting what's in front of you and getting out of bounds, taking five here and being happy with it, it really can help your offense become way more explosive overall because you're moving the chains without playing that lowest probability football play. Yeah, to add to your point, it's a great point. The art, to, if you do what you're proposing, the deep ball comes more organically and naturally yeah. within the offense. Yes. Sark forces the deep ball, which yes. I, I'm not mad at him for forcing it, but he, he forces it because he – claims it's really integral to their entire passing game. I disagree because he he throws the deep ball first. I went and did stats. I went and looked at every damn deep ball Texas threw this year. Uh, 50% of the deep balls on first down. Yeah. 50% of them. So he – he wants to start off the, with that. He wants you to start off with that psychological disadvantage mm-hmm. of playing, to the wall. playing scared as yeah. a defense. But when he doesn't complete them, which they didn't complete a lot of them last year, then Texas is behind the chains often on those on those uh, situations. And for a quarterback that was struggling, that can be a true regression. So to to your point that you're talking about, I that's why the three high works really well against Sark, right? Because mm-hmm. it does give you disguise. Yep. They don't necessarily know if you do have two deep mm-hmm. or one deep. They don't really know. They really can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. The just a single high and a two high makes it a little bit easier because those pre snap show disguises are you know uh, as a as a as a player you've seen more reps with mm-hmm. that, For but sure. he hasn't seen as many reps three high, and that actually does confuse the quarterback about do I have a single high safety yep. or do I have two deep? Am I throwing the underneath? Am I throwing the deep ball? So to your point, yeah, maybe that's the way to go against Sark. It's a lot of pre snap show disguise, but. I'm with you. I think it starts with deep ball. He should work. I would, like you say, pitch. They always say pitch backwards or whatever. Mm-hmm. I would, if I'm starting, I would work in reverse. Like, mm-hmm. I, I would work with the short game, quick game, then the intermediate. And I think the deep ball would naturally come because the yeah. defense will also get frustrated they'll and lose patience. In. And then they'll start to take more chances and to jump those routes. And then the other stuff will open up. So I'm hoping this year, and it happened in the spring game a little bit, the first deep ball actually didn't come till late in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Usually his deep balls are in his script. Mm-hmm. In his first 20 yeah. plays. So I'm hoping that he's going to let the flow of the game come to him a little bit rather than trying to force that deep ball. Yeah. Because, like, that's, I always think back to, like, because we, 
the prime uh, Sark offense that first saw was that first Texas OU game. But how did Texas open that? It's a screen to Worthy that he takes he to the house. Exactly. And then, I mean, when that happens, that then opened up the deep ball for later on in that first half when you started to hit those. But you didn't hit it right out the gate. It, you hit it because something up front and missing a tackle ended up causing it. Yep. Yeah, the more, man, the more I think about it, the fact that that 08 offense was as productive as it was, like when you lose Blaine Irby early in that year and Jordan Shipley became your de facto tight end, you didn't have Jamal Charles, who you had in 07. Like it's, O-line was not It was not great. a dominant O-line. It was not a dominant O-line. But the, yeah. the idea of something like And I like, like some, of the, some of the dudes that came through that era, like David Snow and some of those other guys, like I, I like them as people. But, oh, yeah, yeah, there was not a, no. it's not a dominant O-line. Nope. And that's where something like, you know, the, the thought of a guy like Shipley – playing what we call that tight end role, you might be afraid of it, but we've seen across sports so many times that don't look at a person's like size or stature as something that should cut you off from being able, like the most effective way to play basketball nowadays is a small mm-hmm. ball five. And, you know, yeah. we talk about people like Jose Altuve is an insane uh, power hitter and he has like a great launch angle, but he's so small and diminutive. Oh, yeah. Like moving a guy like Shipley inside, it's like, well, you know, you look at these batteries and the guys, like, we talk about how effective, you know, the Brady to Gronk or the, you know, Kelsey mm-hmm. to Mahomes ability. But, like, well, what does it always help? It helps a quick game, which can make you get away with having a bad offensive line. And yeah. then you're on the same page and you have a guy, like, if you look at Kelsey's touchdowns last year, it's crazy. But, like, he's a guy that he's one of the best receivers against zone. But then when you look at him, how he scored all of his touchdowns, it's like, well, he scored all his touchdowns almost against man. It's like, I think, 70 percent of his touchdowns. It's like because once you get bunched down into goal line, well, then he can perform and beat mm-hmm. his man. But having a guy mentally being able to be on the same page as a quarterback and being able to find those spots, and that's why I keep beating home that this year Jatavian having that pre-existing relationship like Quinn, if they are forming that type of chemistry, it could be really valuable, especially also a guy like Wit underneath. We we talked about the offensive line a couple of times, and I, I want to talk about this Texas offensive line because. It's too early to say whether this is going to be a dominant offensive line, and I, I need to see a lot more before I'm even willing to go into that realm. Mm-hmm. But, man, I like the depth on this team. And, and, you know, I was thinking about it watching the spring game as a whole. That that was my big takeaway, and I'm glad Sark said it while I was thinking it in the post game. He loves the depth on this team. And, and it's young. a lot of it's young depth, and it's got a chance. You can see Texas getting on an upward trajectory where the product on September 2nd, it's, it's much different, you know, the product by the end of the year. Yeah, uh, just because of the young talent and the growth potential that this team has, and man, I don't think there's any place more evident than the offensive line. I mean, you think about it. They into the spring with Cole Hudson, Connor Robertson, and DJ Campbell all on the shelf, and there were springs where in the past that would cripple you. Mm-hmm. I mean, at that point you might have five guys that you feel good about. That's that's when you get into the spring game where hey, we don't have enough to actually play a game. You know, we just have a you know glorified practice or whatever. But man, they rolled Nato and Zulu in there. With the with the ones, and he looked fine. Mm. Uh, you know, Hayden Connor got to run some center, and and like you didn't didn't see like just this noticeable drop off. You know, I I just the the rate of development. Rod, I love you. Brought us that term a couple of years ago, and and I love using it. So I, I borrow that from you. Yeah, rip off and duplicate. Mm. Um, I wouldn't do that unless you were really good at your job. Right? So, uh, Appreciate that. But you know the fa- the fact that the rate of development of these the 2022 offensive linemen, like we saw what Kelvin Banks did last year, but like that's amazing. You look at NATO, you look at DJ Campbell. I mean, Cole Hudson started every game last year. 
uh, now throwing uh, what Cam Williams is doing. Like this, man, the the dynamics in that room have changed exponentially since Kyle Flood got here. No, I agree like I'm excited about the offensive line. I'm usually very pessimistic about that group. I'm excited about where this thing is going. I mean, the talent level is tremendous. Let me tell you, I'm more excited about that position group than I am any other position group in this program, including quarterback. Wow. Including quarterback. Wow. That's okay. how much talent I think is in that room. It is. Oh, that's a, good. And they've barely, you know, in terms of them having an impact right now, I mean, hell, only two of those guys have really had like an instant impact mm-hmm. already. So they got a ton of talent that has, they've – been stockpiling in that room that they're ready kind of to unleash. So I'm with you. I think the potential is through the roof. Uh, I will say, you know, last year, Texas blocking, run blocking, actually as a run blocking O-line, actually wasn't that great. It's just you had two elite prospects right. at breaking tackles in the backfield with Bijan and Rojo. Mm-hmm. And in pass protection, they weren't terrible in pass protection, but also not elite. So I would like to see this year them become elite either pass pro or at run blocking. Because mm-hmm. they have that, they got experience coming back, ton of experience coming back, but they also, the guys who are the guys who are now on the depth chart, if you will, in second string, a lot of them have higher ceilings than even some of the starters. I agree. Who are veteran players. So this year, in terms of your rotation of seven, eight guys, I expect that to be a good, a really good rotation. And I don't expect it to be a strength. At one point, I'm with you. If the O-line is playing at a high level, it really doesn't matter about the offensive identity anymore. Like you re- yeah. the, the offensive identity, to me, has it takes over because – we're not sure if, if they're going to have a dominant O-line that can impose their will and have their way with an opponent and give you a, a totally balanced offense running and passing. My assumption is they'll be better at one than the other, like most O-lines mm-hmm. are, and then you'll build the offense by the identity around that. My assumption right now is they'll probably be better at pass blocking and run blocking. People say that's crazy because young O-linemen are really better at run blocking and pass blocking. That is true, but I think losing Bijan and Rojo is going to be a, it's, it's going to have a bigger impact in a negative impact, I guess, on the running game than people suspect. I said it before the bowl game last year. I guess Sark didn't understand it because Sark didn't even add any creativity or innovation to the running game. He assumed Bijan and Rojo run plays will work even without Bijan and Rojo, and he was wrong. All yeah. right, And I think if you go into this season with that same attitude, you're going to be wrong again. Yeah. So that, that, off, that run game I do think needs to be overhauled just a little bit and tweaked just a little bit to, to, to build it around – what run plays you run really well and run, run plays that Jay Brooks runs well and that, you know, Jaden Blue runs well and Keenan Robinson. Figure out those three or four plays that each of those guys is really good at and then stack plays on top of those because I don't think you got a, uh, a Bijan and Rojo where, you know what, anything in the uh, – any play, any play in our playbook that's associated with the run game, those guys can do it and they can do it as well, if not better than anybody else. Yeah. You don't have that. Um. I was thinking about this in relation to Hayden Connor working at center, which I'm glad we got to see that in the spring game. Mm-hmm. And that's a move I'm really intrigued by because, you know, if Hayden Connor can push Jake Majors to the point where you can get him some in-game snaps at center, like rotate him in, that gives you a path to getting DJ Campbell and Nato Zulu and Cam Williams, like some combination of those three reps. You only got two starting guard spots. That's awesome. So, I mean, it's this is first world problems. Baby. This is this is a situation Texas has not been in in no. such a long time. And it's hard to do. I mean, keep that stockpile offensive line yeah. like that. Yeah, and if I'm those young guys, those young guys don't have a reason to hit the portal because some of these veterans are going to be gone. 
after this season. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you be in the two deep to start spring ball next year. Yeah, they got and a 6-0 line whole package, so they'll throw you out there yeah. too. And the 6-0 line package of young bucks. But so. in relation to Hayden Connor at center, I, it just it cracks me up because, Ed Rod, your playing experience led us down this road. Like spring, we've been saying for a decade on this podcast, spring ball is a time where you can experiment. You get to do a position mm-hmm. change, try yeah. something new, spring ball is a time to do it. do it. And then Sark says it, and people around here act like this is some big revelation. Oh, yeah, you. I mean, I guess you could experiment during the spring. Like, yeah, dummy, that's what spring ball is for. It's the only time. It's always been for. Yeah, it's the only time, it's the only time you have the valuable, like, you're allowed to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, and I'm not knocking Sark. I'm knocking exactly. the people that think Sark just, just unveiled some just – so outside the box concept of oh springs where you experiment like no Sark knows what everybody knows this is, this is when you do it yeah Mac Brown was experimenting too I mean that's when we would talk about hell who did we talk about for was it uh, OJ McClintock the walking experiment <laughs> yeah yeah the living OJ breathing experiment all over the place but who was the DB was it uh, Duke Thomas who's the Thomas. DB that played oh yeah wide I that. oh god. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that that stuff happens in the spring. You experiment with Maybe guys Maybe it's all the PTSD post Herman because yeah. Herman was so rigid into yeah. what he was yeah, doing. Yeah, right. That Texas point. fans just aren't used to seeing yeah. it now. But and if that's the Savion Red thing, that was great because I mean they turned out they really liked Savion Red, and I liked what I saw from Savion Red too mm-hmm. um, in that game. And so I think the running backs, it's still a work in progress from what I saw. When Jonathan Brooks comes back, I imagine it will look different. They don't seem to have. Mm, the force, like a power run game mm-hmm. just yet. I, yeah. I, maybe Jonathan Brooks is that power run Bro- game. J- uh, J- Jay Brooks is probably that he can bring, he, right. He can thump yeah. a little bit. So I think mm-hmm. they're going to have a little trouble early on, maybe in the power run game, the interior run game. But I think ultimately they'll be fine just because I think they'll be a running back by committee. I did see something that I really liked early on too, and it didn't work out. But I've talked about if you're going to have this, you know, you're going to revamp this passing game, and that was his big priority in offseason – you might want to build the passing game actually around featuring JT Sanders mm-hmm. early on rather than X-Man. And X-Man is still going to get the same amount of targets, of course. He gets his targets. He's the, he's the, the game, game-breaking presence in your passing game. Mm-hmm. But in terms of where the pa- – remember, a lot of the passing game last year would start with X-Man. Mm-hmm. It would start. Like, you knew in the script it was like X-Man, 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 X-Man. They were force-feeding yep. the football to X-Man. And that's, that's fine, but it's easier to double and neutralize X-Man. You can yep. put your best corner on him if he's outside. If they put him inside, you also can double him in the slot. There's just fewer ways for you to hide him on the chessboard. JT Sanders can move around twice as many places as him, and he'll he'll be going up against very I was like, much less uh, uh, much less equipped defenders to defend him, nice. right, to cover him. Because he'll be going against linebackers and safeties most of the time. Maybe they'll put a nickel back on him, but if they put a nickel back on him instead Tiny. of Jay Witt, then you're golden. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so uh, for me, I, I, that's what they started in the spring game. Yeah, I mean, two of the first three plays yeah. were J were JT Sanders, and, and he didn't he, he didn't catch him uh, when he dropped. But I like that early on. It looked like they were trying to feature JT Sanders early on. X Men, I think out of the first three plays, they all were passing plays, which is good because I think the passing game is going to be the identity of the offense. But then only one of them was X Men, and two of them were JT Sanders. I thought to myself, this is exactly what you need to be doing early on. X-Man is still going to get his, yeah. but JT is a much better candidate to help your quarterback get in the rhythm and in the groove rather than chunking it downfield to X-Man. Yeah. Yep, and also to add to that, another good reason is sustainability. You know, one body type is a lot smaller and a lot more prone to injuries than, say, a guy like Jatavian Sanders. So the volume, you know, you don't necessarily see guys like X-Man being 
volume. Like Antonio Brown may be the one outlier. He's a guy that mm-hmm. was really small in a high volume receiver. Almost no other receivers are like that. Devontae Smith turned into that yeah. at Bama because True. of all the injuries. And, well, and, they and, didn't want him to be that. And he's, he's a freak, yep. But yeah, and if he, he's also really good at avoiding contact. And that was something, a subtle note, but something I sort of no, noticed. A guy like X-Man in the spring game, you know, running out of bounds, running away from people that's and doing true. those type of things. And Good that's point. something that you could just little tiny tweaks like that really could help your sustainability over time. I think in the run game, Rod, when we talk about creativity and different things you could do, I think split flow is still going to continue to be a really big part of this run game because it has been. Uh, but with the the weapon that JT is, and, and I don't I don't think it was the Jaden Blue touchdown, but it was one of his runs where I noticed it looked like a split. It was a split zone look. But then he like cut it back to the tight end, the, the side mm. the tight end was flowing to. So mm. I'm like, okay, this just tells you like that they they love the split zone. Now if you can add some bells and whistles off of that, that's one thing you could do. Because if I'm a linebacker or whoever safety, whoever the key on JT Sanders is, I have to go where he goes. You better, yeah, you get that dude get because the minute you don't, that's going to be a hard play action fake and a boot, and he'll be wide open in the flat with nothing but. 20 yards of turf in front of him. Yeah, yep. the whole momentum of the offense is going to be riding with him. So if you can use that concept to go against the grain and be a lot more space back there. And when you look at both of these backs, both of them last year, more than two, it was exactly two thirds uh, zone to gap scheme for Jaden Blue. And it was like mm-hmm. 21 to nine okay. for a guy like Brooks. But back Brooks the year before was only 11 to 10. So last year was much more zone. But also it would lend, he'd be maybe more of just your gap guy if you need to have that. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, another thing I think we're going to see more of, just kind of clues from the spring game, I thought I noticed more RPOs just Felt in like general. It, yeah. Just in general. And we've talked about how hard it is to track classify RPO. Mm-hmm. You really got to have kind of that coach's view. Between that and play Out 22. And- yeah, exactly. And because people, people always say, oh, that was an RPO. They're always talking about the pass. Like, some of the runs are RPOs too. He just well, handed it off. In you know, all they RPOs. Never, they, they, the announcers and broadcasts never say, hey, that was an RPO handoff. They always go, oh, that was an RPO. You notice that he did. He pulled it. I was like, well, sometimes Sark has what he calls a fake RPO, mm-hmm. which is basically kind of a play action pass which is meant to look like an RPO. Yeah. There you go. And sometimes with him, it's a fake RPO. So you really never know. He's actually trying to fake out the defender that's in conflict and kind of keep them mentally keep their wheel spinning so uh, it's hard to do that but i thought just eye test alone because like i'm not going to give you a number because it's hard to throw it out there but i think i saw more rpo i bet the the rpo rate is going to go up rpo is basically a, a, a an in, it's a combination of the quick game and the run game and it's a perfect way to get a quinn yours or a young quarterback in a rhythm and the reason i think it's really good for quinn and why you didn't see enough of it i don't know last year or even with casey thompson and hudson card the year before i don't think he trusted his young quarterbacks yeah. Dealing mm-hmm. with the mesh point manipulation of it, right? The the sleight of hand and all Decision. that. I don't think, yeah, I don't think he trusted how it based. Yeah, for them to be in rhythm with the throws and with the old line the way it was. Yeah. I think this year, I think he's he's a little bit more trusting of those guys in his system. They're more comfortable in the system, familiarity, and I think they've been practicing, right? Repping it. You're gonna see more RPOs. So remember, at Bama, they led the country mm-hmm. in RPO rate. At Bama, he he wants to be an RPO mm-hmm. based passing game. He talks about that all the time, and I think he had to dial that back the last couple of years he just wasn't comfortable calling that much RPO uh with his quarterbacks I think he thought 
you know, that they basically you would open them up to more more margin for error. And turnover risk. Turnover exactly. risk is insanely yeah. huge, and that's where offensive line aspect, like Jeff brought up, if this is the best group that you have around, you have the confidence. Because not only does offensive line, like everybody knows it makes you better, but it makes everybody better in so many different ways. It amplifies your best players because they get to be used how intended, but it also can enhance the play-calling ability and the the confidence in certain things that like we're talking about RPOs with certain plays like that and play action that are used that are so much more effective to the defense. But if you're sort of boxing yourself out from even using that because of your fear of risk of turnovers or mm-hmm. of the manipulation of the match point, not only with the young quarterback, yeah. but then Timing when the you add it all, and there's so many page. things yeah. that are tied together be, yep. that all stem from the offensive line, being able to give you that first three seconds. And we've seen Agreed. Quinn have a really good, time to throw illegal like, man downfield I even brought up the number last year last week and the more I thought about it it makes more sense but how it's crazy that whenever he's clean he has all 16 drops this year by receivers were clean when under pressure hmm. zero drops but that's I think crazy. that's all because Quinn when under pressure like most quarterbacks you aren't accurate so you aren't mm-hmm. even throwing the ball in the area to be dropped so it shows how much more room even though he was like right at a hundred quarterback rating if you're using the NFL rating system not the really amplified college system Mm -hmm. that's with 16 drops on his all clean throws so like if you're talking about the receivers catching those balls too how much better he could have been in numbers wise last year when we saw there's so much more room for improvement that if he is getting that time to be kept clean this year could be really good we're uh, we're not gonna have time to get into the defense so let's just go ahead and finish up talking about the quarterbacks and here's here's what I what I don't and it's going to happen in every fan base, especially a fan base like Texas, where mm-hmm. you know more often than not the number two quarterback's the most popular guy on campus. Uh, Rod, you live that during your playing days. Oh yeah. Um, okay. So is the number three guy the most popular one? On well, in this case, he, he might be. <laughs> yeah. um, don't get caught up in is is Malik pushing Quinn and should Quinn be pushed by Malik and where is Arch in this? Don't lose sight. Don't let that cause you to lose sight of the fact that Texas has three quarterbacks that they should feel really good about, and that I like where all three of them are in their stages of development. Like, is Quinn was Quinn as polished on Saturday as he needs to be on September second? No, but does everything look better than it did at the end of last season? To me, a hundred percent. Is Malik ready to step in and be a starter? Probably not, but is he much further along than I think everybody thought he would be at this point? 100%. Is Arch anywhere where anybody wants him to be right now? No, during his first semester of college football. When he should be in high school. But do you expect him to be in a – does he look like he could be in a much different place by the time you get to August? Absolutely. So you've got a really good problem right now in that quarterback room. That's that's what your offense is. It's a – it's a position-by-position position analysis of really good problems, and your really good problem at quarterback is, man, you, you really do have three that you feel good about where they're going. Yeah, you went from third-world problems at quarterback a few years ago. Now you got first-world problems at quarterback. You have legit NFL arms. All right, and on the all throughout the depth chart, the quarterback position, and yeah, Malik Murphy might have the strongest. I mean, he's got an absolute cannon. And heard today from man Quan Cosby that V VY. Has taken a liking to Malik Murphy. They talk, they talk weekly. That's good. Yeah, about you know keeping your obviously keeping your goals intact. And even though yeah, you might be down the depth chart. Talked about 
how he tells him his time about, you know, being behind Chance Mock and not mm-hmm. losing faith and, and keeping that confidence, all that kind of stuff. But I thought Malik Murphy actually kind of won the day, the spring game, because this is a guy yeah. that hadn't been able to sit, to see the field pretty much because he had been dealing with injury. That's his own journey that he's dealing with. But talking about the team, hey, man, you can't make the club in the tub. We didn't even talk a lot about Malik Murphy because what's the point in talking about him? If exactly. He's not That's kind of where I got field. yeah. Yeah, so we haven't talked a ton about him on this show, and it's not out of disrespect. I've heard the man. It's got you know a ton of potential, and that was pretty obvious out there. So I thought of all the players that were out there in the spring, Malik Murphy actually did win the spring game because there was talk, especially you know with Arch Manning coming in, that not only and even I have thought Arch Manning would compete for the backup spot, and some nationally, which is ridiculous, they was going to compete for the starting spot. We know that's not happening. <laughs> so um, but dumb. we on this show, we know how often Texas had to use a backup quarterback in the last twenty five years. I think there's been like what five years and. 26 years or something where they haven't had to go to a backup quarterback for some reason or another. So one of the biggest issues, arguably the most important issue going into this spring game was not just if Quinn Ewers had taken his game to the next level, was could you find out who your backup was and could you actually show that there wouldn't be a, you know, a precipitous monumental drop-off mm-hmm. after Quinn Ewers, it not uh, if something happened to Quinn or you had to take Quinn out. And I think a lot of Longhorn fans, would, if something happened, would be intrigued yeah. now by the prospect of Malik Murphy going in there with all these weapons. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is one of the biggest storylines coming out of the spring game is that I think you got your second-string quarterback. I think you got your number two. I think you, he basically said Quinn's the starter. But I think you also got your number two. It's the best-case scenario because now, assuming those guys stay on their rate of development, again, going mm-hmm. back to that term, Quinn should be ready to rock and roll by the time you get to September 2nd. Malik Murphy should be no, un, unquestionably your backup. Now you're dealing with the best-case scenario of, okay, Arch doesn't have to worry about playing. Charles Wright, baby. He can red string. And then you got your Seven four months. games. Charles Wright for the third string. And then nowadays point, you even Matt. have yep. four games, so it doesn't even matter. Say one does yes, have sir. an injury, you have the ability to not even burn a red shirt the way that the modern rules are. And, like, to think of how young this QB room is, like right now, Arch, in theory, like if it was 20 years ago, would still be his senior year of high school. And if you look at where Quinn was, well, I mean, if you look at his career arc, that's when he was at Ohio State, nah, meaning that like this upcoming fall ended up being where like if Arch was the starter this fall, that's how young Quinn was last year. When you look at just their natural years being four years of high school and then your first year of college. So we have two guys like right now that are like if you look in traditional age, what would be a true sophomore and a true freshman coming in this year? And you have that ability to have Arch redshirt, which is just so big, and having a full half semester, a full half year, a full semester of experience in college by enrolling early, and then Quinn having his whole senior year, a full year of enrolling early. They're really young for the scale of what college football is. Yeah, and that's why I wouldn't guarantee that they'd all stay here No, exactly. Right. That's why that you can leave because the Quinn's eligible have, after this year. But I think part of the new era, transfer portal era, and I, I, I was talking about this on my show because we were talking about the guys who have hit the transfer portal. I think the latest was – Jaden Alexis, the receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you got with four guys four. or something like yeah. that that hit the transfer portal for Texas. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where you should, as a university, you should, but not as a person, thank this comparison. Um, but people stalk their exes, cyber stalk their exes on social media all the time. I think it's like an 80% uh, rate that people actually look up what their exes are doing online. And that's just, I'm not judging people for that. All right. I've probably been guilty of it too. But my point is, it's fun to do that with your 
with the with the transfer portal and the players who have gone on elsewhere because I think it does show you how healthy mm-hmm. your roster turnover really is. If you have guys that are leaving your program and that are coveted by other other programs FBS. and they're going to power five schools and group of five schools, it does show you that you you got there's a lot of healthy turnover because it's mm-hmm. happening. Attrition happens to everybody now, but you have healthy attrition if your players are indeed being coveted and being picked up by group group of five schools or power five schools. So you got a good picker, just like the reason you should be Cyrus talking to exes is so you can find out how they're doing and you should hope they're doing really really well because if they are doing really well, it shows you that you. Pick well, that you actually know how to choose them. And even when they're not with you, they're still doing well. And I think it shows a it's a healthy sign of your growth in your mm-hmm. life, but also healthy sign of turnover and attrition on your team when that's happening. Yeah, instead of having ones going down to like exactly. that other level, going to the Sams or going to Lamar or places like that. And last year, I wanna say I wanna say eighty to eighty five percent of Texas players ended up with group of five or power five universities. Yeah, and it even shows you where the talent, because we knew there wasn't a talent drop-off, but when we would see guys like, say, eight or nine years ago or five or six years ago transferring out and then, like, making it in the league, and you're like, wait. That is exactly. And it's showing you, like, wait, wait, we weren't developing these guys because they're really turning into something, but they weren't here. Derek Derek Roberson's one of those guys for me. Like, we knew he was talented. He goes to Sam Houston State and – I, I don't know if he's still with the Titans or not, but I know he played a couple of years, got him a couple of years in the league. Yeah, that always shocked when you see the guy. He's like, hey! Yeah, he's like that Leonardo DiCaprio uh, meme. Adrian, Adrian <laughs> Colbert, same thing. Yeah. Um, it's a different sport. I brought this up to like Jeff. A, did I see Montreal Meander? Like yeah, Montreal Meander. Like with the Browns. Hung in the yeah. league for a little he's bit. He's on the Browns. Playing like defense. I was, just, I was like, whoa! But yeah, those Desmond Harris and Sasquatch made it to the league. Exactly. <laughs> it's a different sport, but tonight for the Atlanta Hawks is Donovan Williams. I bet nobody ever ever thought Texas basketball Donovan Williams from 2021 would be in the NBA. It's a good point. Yeah, I'll raise my hand and say I didn't (laughs) see that. Uh, But, Rod, if you go back to the fall period, uh, if you you include Jalen Garth, which now because U of H is a Power 5 school now, uh, I've got 9 of 15 outgoing transfers that went to Power 5 schools. From last cycle? Mm -hmm. Wow. That's what I'm saying. That's that's And, like, the ones that didn't, Logan Pars at SMU – uh, JD Coffee's at San Diego State, and who was the other one? DJ Harris is at South Florida. Like I said, that's pot. Everybody's got attrition these days. You cannot avoid it. It's a transfer portal error. All you can hope for is that. You can mm-hmm. hope for that. That as a fan, that's how you know it's healthy attrition for your team. You're upgrading talent. You're yeah. not just losing guys because of bad culture or lose. Guys don't see a path to play. Now you see why Brandon yeah, like Thompson, Brandon Thompson decides to leave. He's like, dude, I can't play. AD like, Mitchell's there. Receivers. You saw him out there? That's why he can't play. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at Keontae Ingram. He was getting exactly. snaps right there, but it was Rojo and Bijan all getting over 200 snaps. He's like, yeah, I'll go to USC. Yeah, those back-to-back fumbles, back-to-back weeks. <laughs> yeah. In the TCU game. Well, the yeah. LSU drop. Was it TCU in Oklahoma? Well, the t- the fans turned on him after the drop game. touchdown. Did he reception. start one the Oakland the Oklahoma game? He started off with like a fumble or something. Well, it was the LSU touchdown? No, 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 drop no, no. In the end zone. Matt, or I was talking about twenty. Okay, I, I think was you might about, be right. right? When, like, it was like back to back weeks. That's how okay. we were talking about. He's really hard on himself. Yeah, and we're like, man, you gotta let that go. You make a mistake, you let it go. You keep on. Yeah, it was something like that. I forgot. I may have screwed it up somehow. But I thought it was like randomly, like back to back weeks. He had a crucial mistake, and I think he was in his own head. And it, in big games, it was just a, a few of those things. Oh, happened. LSU, you're right. Yeah, yeah, no, it, exactly. It, it, but getting back to your point, path to play. Yeah, and those guys are going to USC. Yeah, going to. You're big right, Ron. 
Uh, second play from scrimmage for Texas in the OU game in 2020. Oh, uh, it was Keontae brutal. Ingram. I felt so bad for him because I know he was thinking about the week before. Yeah. We had mm-hmm. made a mistake, and it's like, oh, let it go, man. Let it. But that's an NFL guy. Yeah. So I, I'm with you anyway. Um, just to finish up on the quarterbacks and kind of wrap this up, and we'll we'll talk defense and draft next week. Yeah, yeah, I got a lot of defense. I promise stuff. we'll get to the defense. Yeah. Um, Quinn had the kind of spring game that, uh, honestly, I was kind of hoping he'd have. You can look at the good plays and, and take that away, but in terms of the mistakes he made, there were, to me, there weren't any of those what-the-hell-was-that plays. <laughs> Which, hey, in my defense saying that, we down the stretch of the regular season, we saw a lot of those from Quinn. And the fact that he's not making them, even in a controlled environment, that, to me, is progress. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I remember those plays. I don't even bring up exactly what plays are, but we all remember those, like what the WTF plays um, yeah. for him. And even Sark, I, I, a couple of times, Sark decided to just abandon the passing game and abandon Quinn altogether. The Baylor go, game and the Iowa State game. Yeah. 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 Bijan and Rojo, let's go with it. And God bless them for that because they end up getting more wins than they probably uh, should have because of the regression at quarterback. But getting back to your point, I totally agree. But the one, if I'm going to be nitpicky here because I thought he had a, a good spring game, uh, I want ball. I want better ball placement. I think his ball placement a little off sometimes. Mm-hmm, I agree. Just on like, uh, just you know, on, on more routine throws. I just think because what Sark wants is to, he wants his receivers to be yak daddies. Yeah, mm-hmm. yards catch after the catch. Exactly. And his break to daylight philosophy. Yak yards are all about ball placement. Yep. You put the ball in the right place, and receiver can get it. And he has, you know, very little time to flip his hips. You put it in the right place, depending on where the receiver is and their leverage. You can really help him out to get mm-hmm. those yak yards. So that's what I want to see in, in from, from from Quinn. That's and I see him trying to have a perfect rep, but yeah. he's capable of that for like, sure. If he wasn't capable of him delivering uh, a perfect uh, ball with perfect placement, I wouldn't even be calling for this. But I think he can do it. And that's where a play that's like a ten yard game can become a touchdown because exactly. you. Instead of having to get your balance back and fall over, and that's enough time to have the defender catch up and tackle you, you can make that first move in stride and make a guy miss. They're not, ex- they're not exactly the same guy, but to me, Rod, Quinn with ball placement is where your boy Chris Sims was with velocity. Like, hey, not every throw yes. has to be a fastball. Yeah, That's where uh, Garrett Gilbert was, yeah, too. he loved that. And it's a good point because I remember Malik, remember the he throws the, I think it's kind of a curl route, a deep curl, and when he shows off the arm, I think it's like one of his yeah. third, th- second or third throw, something like that, yeah. and everybody goes, ooh. Yeah. yeah. There are times, yeah, like you said, hey, show it off. This is it. Mm-hmm. Show it off. Let everybody know. Uh, but then there are times where like, just touch is required, just and, uh, a little touch. And there yeah. was a few times last year when you saw that happen because Quinn does oh, have touch. No, he does so, have but, touch. Uh, there were times, touch. beautiful touch, but I'm saying where he maybe fired one where uh, the receiver, it gets on you quick. Like if yeah. you're a guy like JT in traffic, and I think a lot of the times his drops are like when a ball's put maybe not as much touch, but like your quarterback, you're trying to get it out if you're under pressure. It's how pressure can yeah. affect so many different things, and you have a laser arm, you're just trying to get it to him. Over time, you accumulate. The game knowledge and you're able to throw, add that touch. They do have like three or four drops in the game. Yeah. Huh? A few drops, like three drops in, in the game, I thought. Oh, yeah, the bad, the bad one was one, uh, the, the DeAndre one, Moore. DeAndre Moore, yeah. he made up for a deep one. He looked good too, by the way. Speaking of touch and ball placement, I'll, I'll paraphrase Tenacious D, who Jack Black said at one time. It's like intimacy. You know, you don't always have to do it hard. In fact, sometimes that's not right to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I like that. <laughs> I might have to steal that one. That's yeah. pretty good. Well done. Well, there's a couple four-letter bombs in there that I <laughs> took out for obvious reasons. But I, like it. I think it's a good place to stop, Radio boys. Radio edit. Just pause, nice pause. And uh, 
pick it back up next week. We're talking draft and defense next week. Rodby, you got your note, your defensive notes ready to go? Yeah, man. I'm talking uh, field side corner. Talking about Anthony Hill as a natural pass rusher. Talking about that that D and D tackles, and we got a transfer portal. Speaking of D line, oh, yeah. Trill Carter. Got to talk about Trill, man. We will talk about Trill. Mm-hmm. We'll do all that That's next an week. Awesome name. It is, uh, well, it's not his real name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I think now you can like tell reporters your nickname, and they will they will so, uh, they will respect that. Well, like, I remember the first time you heard name? Little Jordan, and you were like, "That can't be real." It's like, no way, that's what it says. That's what his birth certificate. Because his name's not true. I think it's like this nickname, D'Angelo. Yeah. Okay. But he told people true, and they respected it. So I was yes, like, "That's pretty right. cool." I guess in NIL world, you got to respect. Yeah. Yeah. The good brand in the there, brand. bro. There you go. Uh, Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049 1019 AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. And you can get Rod B. on Ball Don't Lie each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Shame this plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast. That's Horns 247. No dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button to get every episode of The Blitz whenever it drops. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.